my feet. Not even the familiar sense of paint, chalk dust, and plaster can comfort me when I see the scene taking shape. A red queen on a murderous rampage in a bleak and crumbling wonderland. Just like in my most recent dreams. I smoothed the cloth back into place, unwilling to acknowledge what the imagery might mean. It's easier to hide from it. Alyssa? Mr. Mason comes to stand by the table. His tie-dyed Converse shoes stand out like melted rainbows against the white linoleum floor. I've been meaning to ask, are you planning to accept a scholarship to Middleton College? I nod in spite of my bout of nerves. If Dad lets me move to London with Jeb. Good. Mr. Mason's wide smile showcases the gap between his front teeth. Someone with your talent should take advantage of every opportunity. Now, let's see this latest piece. Before I can stop him, he tugs off the drop cloth and squints, the pockets beneath his eyes magnified by his pink-tinged glasses. I sigh, relieved that the transformation is complete. Rapturous color and movement, as always. He leans across it, rubbing his goatee. Disturbing, like the others. His final observation sends my stomach tumbling. A year ago, when I used bug corpses and dried flowers in my mosaics, my pieces retained an air of optimism and beauty, despite the morbidity of the materials. Now, with my change in medium, everything I create is gloomy and violent. I can't seem to capture lightness or hope anymore. In fact, I've stopped trying to fight it. I just let the blood have its way. I wish I could stop making the mosaics altogether, but it's a compulsion I can't deny. And something tells me there's a reason for that. A reason that keeps me from destroying all six of them, from busting their plaster backgrounds into a thousand pieces. Do I need to buy more red marbled gems? Mr. Mason asks. I've no idea where I got them to begin with. I checked online the other day and I can't seem to find the supplier. He doesn't realize the mosaic tiles were clear when I started, that I've been using only clear gems for the past few weeks, and that the scenes he thinks I'm meticulously crafting by matching colored lines in the glass are actually forming themselves. It's okay, I answer him. They're from my own personal supply. Literally. Mr. Mason studies me for a second. All right, but I'm running out of room in my cabinet. Maybe you could take this one home. I shudder at the thought. Having any of them in my house would only invite more nightmares, not to mention how it would affect Mom. She's already spent enough of her life imprisoned by her Wonderland phobias. I'll have to figure out something before the end of school. Mr. Mason won't be willing to keep them all summer, especially since I'm a senior. But today, I have other things on my mind. Can you fit just one more? I ask. Jeb's picking me up on his bike. I'll get them next week. Mr. Mason nods and carries it over to his desk. I crouch to arrange the stuff in my backpack, rubbing sweaty palms over my striped leggings. The hem brushing my knee feels foreign.
My skirt is longer than what I'm used to without the petticoats underneath to fluff it out. In the months since mom's been home from the asylum, we've had a lot of arguments about my clothes and makeup. She says my skirts are too short, and she wishes I would wear jeans and dress like regular girls. She thinks I look too wild. I've told her that's why I wear tights and leggings for modesty, but she never listens. It's like she's trying to make up for the 11 years she was away by being overly invested in everything about me. She won this morning, but only because I woke up late and was in a rush. It's not easy to get up for school when you've been fighting sleep all night, avoiding dreams. I lift my backpack to my shoulders and tip my chin goodbye to Mr. Mason. My Mary Jane platforms clomp along the deserted tiles of the hall. Stray worksheets and notebook papers are scattered like stepping stones in a pond. Several lockers hang open, as if the students couldn't waste the extra half-